Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. What about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? I wouldn't count on it. A podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. So be it. You shall be the Is It Really podcast. I'm Brandon Sharp and I choose a mortal life. I'm Zach Smith Michaels and we're coming too. I'm Mitchell Dupree, and you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. And tonight we're discussing The Fellowship of the Ring and asking, did Lord of the Rings ruin cinema? Zach, why don't you give us the synopsis for The Fellowship of the Ring? Cue the dope music. Frodo is a laid-back hobbit who likes to live it up and chow down. After he receives a ring from his uncle, the wizard Gandalf informs him that his ring belongs to the Dark Lord Sauron. Now Frodo has to head out on a quest to destroy this one ring. FOREVER! Right off the bat, guys. Extended or theatrical cut? That is a good question. Which would I rather watch? I'd rather watch the extended edition. Every which time. is sure. Which is the better film for Fellowship of the Ring? I think the theatrical is the stronger, tighter movie. I think you know. I don't think you could release the extended theatrically, <laughs> it, but it's very much like if I'm at home and I want to nerd out and watch my Lord of the Rings, I go with the extendeds. An extended yeah. version of a movie has never been better than the original version of a movie. Like hmm. every time I've watched a deleted scene, I'm like, yes. Good, good decision. That doesn't belong mm-hmm. in the movie. But when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I just want to spend more time in Middle Earth. That's all I right. all I need. I think that's most people's feelings on the extended cut. Like it's only possible because we all saw the theatrical version. We know what like the tight, you know, original <laughs> the release tight was three like. Hour movie. We've already <laughs> experienced that. <laughs> well, hey, it, it's, it it felt like it felt like a tight 90 minutes to me it flies by yeah i had a friend though who hadn't seen it and i had another friend who was a diehard lord of the rings fan and he said to him the only way you can watch these is the extended editions so he threw this guy in the deep end had him watching the extendeds right off the bat and he was like i i can't i can't take it (laughs) i can't take it anymore please stop it's it's too much information for someone to get right away like when i watched lord of the rings for the first time there were like eight grown men explaining everything to me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I was like yeah. eight years old the first time I saw the first one, and I was like, I am overwhelmed. <laughs> and then when I was a little bit older and I saw the extended edition, it was the same feeling again, but just, whoa. I think like Brandon Sharp 2020 would have probably more of an issue with the Lord of the Rings seeing it for the first time just because. I need to know all that backstory. Mm. Like I would have to be like, hold on, let me go read the books first so I can be equipped with every piece of information possible. 
then I'll come back and watch the movies. I'm almost glad I, I saw them when they came out because right. I was more, I think I was more open-minded and like probably less curious back then. You know, it was just, this is a great movie. Right. And, you know, just kind of face valued the thing that first time around. Yeah. Well, in that same vein, I have a question for you guys. Do you think that there are any scenes from the extended that are actually missing from the theatrical cut? Like, does anything jump out to you as, oh, this should have been there? I don't remember, honestly, the differences. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. It is so hard for me to distinguish it's a whole extra half, Nowadays. half an hour, you know, it's a lot of scenes. Right. Because I don't I don't get that so much with Fellowship of the Ring, but with Two Towers and Return of the King, I get more, oh, why, why didn't you put that in the movie? Or, oh, that, that should have been. But Fellowship, I really think that, you know, the theatrical cut is the best cut and the extra stuff is nice, but I don't really feel like there's anything like, oh, that should have been in the movie. I think there are also times in uh, fellowship specifically where the extended scene that they slip in doesn't look like it belongs in the movie. Hmm. Like it's, I won't say lower quality, but it wasn't, it just visually doesn't fit. It's, and I'm thinking specifically about a scene in Moria. And I think it's when Gandalf is explaining some of the details of Mithril, the, um, you know, his, undergarment that he wears that's like his armor oh yeah the, the, yeah that bilbo gives him i know exactly and, what you're talking about and i don't know if his it, beard honestly it could be like his beard looks darker there's a few things that are like just different they don't look like they belong there but when they light up the mine it pales in comparison to anything else that you see in that that movie it's possible that it just doesn't go through the same like mastering and i'm sure it doesn't, yeah you know? and yeah. like I'm just saying there are times when it like, okay, it's clear that this is not part of the theatrical version. I feel yeah. like watching the extended versions gave me a better understanding of what was going on than just the the strictly like theatrical, like the Lambus bread. I remember the right. first time I watched it, I was like, what's that little bread? Like, are, is that going to be enough for them? Uh, right. And then uh, when I watched it again, I was like, oh, okay. Why are they nibbling on crackers? Yeah, like it's magic. It's magic bread. Why didn't someone tell me that? <laughs> Right. Uh, and then, like, I remember one of the uh, cut scenes is like them, the significance of the gifts they receive from yeah, uh, Galadriel. Yeah. And that pays off when he fights Shelob later. So it, it just it gives a little bit more significance and it makes me understand what's mm -hmm. going on, which I appreciate. Right. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I think once I'm home and once I'm here and honestly, every other like every time I watch the show or watch the movie, from here on out, it'll be the extended version. Yeah. Just because I like more story. Yeah. Right. That's my thing. Right. I like more story. Just give me more. Well, and, and that's right. the interesting thing, too. Like I was uh, someone on a different podcast was saying, you know, like, how often is it that you have three three hour movies and people want more? You know, <laughs> like like there's no one going like. Where's the extended cut of Endgame or, or something like that? You know, people are just I'm like... I'm sure there are, but yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure, but I mean, not to yeah. a point where if it... And also, I mean, just movie marketing has fundamentally changed since that came out. But, like, people were rally and i mean i get that it was a very like small group but people were rallying around like you gotta get the extendeds all the extendeds are so good like oh, it was sure. like a next level of like i yes. have this 
But I'll tell you what, it's got to be a good movie. And I think the extended yeah. Lord of the Rings like scenes are good. Like they're good, high quality scenes. Because when I watch the Hobbit movies, I'm thinking to myself, you're getting like hours and hours of more Middle Earth. Why don't you love this? And it's, it's just nothing. not it's well, it's just not as good as the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, it's not at all. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the Hobbits is even as good as the deleted content from the original Lord of the Rings. So, no. Well, the, the other thing I loved as a kid was the the bonus content. Like, I loved seeing how like these movies got made. Like, it was honestly a very early education in filmmaking for me. Like, hey, hours and hours and years of people's lives go into making something like this. So like when I was a kid, I just grew up thinking like every movie had that level of passion behind it. And like every movie, the cast had that level of love and camaraderie with each other. Like I just grew up thinking that a set like Lord of the Rings was the norm. And, you know, as I got older, I realized that that set's like extremely rare. Let's dive into the movie just a little bit here. Yeah. Hopefully not just a little bit. Yes. Maybe a, <laughs> just a little bit. Maybe the whole episode. Just a, <laughs> just a, uh, what's your guys' favorite moment in the Fellowship of the Rings? I'm going to Mordor alone. Of, of course, course you are. are. And I'm yeah. coming with you. That turns me into a puddle every dang mm. time gut-wrenching yeah because it's it's everything with sam here's what i want to say about sam we all want someone who won't abandon us when things get hard someone who won't turn their back when the road ahead is tough who's committed to us that is samwise gamgee that scene is such a demonstration of his commitment whereas he, like he's gonna die like he he's what are you doing man that right. that's the dedication he has he's just gonna jump in you can't you know? swim mm-hmm. yeah do you think Sam fully grasps what he's signing up for at that point? No, no, I don't think he cares either. I think he's like, this is where Frodo's going, so that's where I'm going. Yeah. There's something to Sam's innocence, though, and like his blind loyalty that is compelling. Well, the, the, one of the things I really like Maybe. in the movie is in the book, I don't know if you guys get this this vibe, but reading the book, it seems like Sam is a little bit dopey if you've seen the 1970s animated film this is how samwise gamji talks in the movie of course you're going with the photo and i'm coming with you too and reading the book i got i got that vibe a little bit more whereas i think lord of the rings is he is a little simple he's kind of shy he's kind of quiet but he's also like brave and you just see like he's a guy who loves his friend in this so i really like that that um that update with him and that they don't just kind of make him like a goofy dope but they you know Mm -hmm. like you said he doesn't fully understand what's going on but who cares mr frodo's going there gandalf told him to stick with him and he's going to well i don't think any of the hobbits have an understanding of the evil they're up against because they were they were you know sheltered by the shire but when you see sam in the sequels he is the one who understands you know the threat that Gollum poses. He's the one who sees behind the veil. I think he's a little bit more intelligent than you guys are giving him credit for. I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he has an optimism that Frodo lacks, which 
Frodo's more of the the realist, like the realist of the two. You know, I'm I'm thinking about a scene, and this may not be in Fellowship, but it's when he's counting the Lambus bread, and he said there should be enough. And Frodo's like, for what? And he goes, the journey home. I just think there's like an optimism there yeah. that that may be taken as him being naive. And and I agree. It's he's he's much more intelligent than many people may give him credit for. There's right. a great line that Tolkien wrote uh, of Sam in the book where it says his will was set and only death would break it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. In that same vein, my favorite moment in Lord of the Rings is when uh, Merry and Pippin sacrifice mm. themselves for Frodo. Because watching the movie and I really yeah. I was thinking about this scene when I was reading the question because it's one that's always like stuck out to me since the first time I saw it. And I was just kind of curious as to why. And I realized aside from Merry telling them. Buckleberry fairy. He, the hobbits do nothing. Like, at best, they're comic relief. At worst, they put them, like the Fellowship, in actual danger. Like, they're actually yeah. a little bit of a burden. So, yeah. you know, they tell them, don't disturb the water, full of a toque, like all this stuff the whole movie. And in this moment, they see that they can't do anything. Like, they're not strong enough to, you know, physically best the orcs. They're not smart yeah. enough to, you know, to get Frodo away safely. But what they can do is they can lay themselves on the line for Frodo. They can give Frodo a chance, which Aragorn says later, you know, we're doing this to give Frodo a chance. And mm -hmm. it's it's a moment where you just see that these characters are putting aside, you know, kind of their childish, like, ways, yeah. you know, earlier. They're like, we're having fun. This is goofy. And they look in that scene, the two actors, I think, are just terrific, but they look terrified as the orcs are coming in. They don't look tough like Aragorn yeah. or, or capable. Yeah. Like, they look really scared. There's that moment where Pippin goes, it's working. And they're like, I know it's working. Run. Like <laughs> this. They think this is it. Like, this could be the end for them. And they don't care. They just want their friend to get away safe. And I, and I think that is. What is most compelling about the hobbits is their bravery, yeah, and how they even if, even if they're not innately brave, they uh, will do what needs to be done. I think about Frodo right off the bat. What must I do? He and he's packing his bag, right. no questions asked. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And he's and he's he's willing to do whatever it takes to bear Bilbo's sins is right. the way I look at it and, and make the, and make this and make this right. And even um, it gets Gandalf choked up just yeah. the, um, oh the gosh. way hobbits can surprise you yeah. and are willing to do whatever it takes. My favorite moment is it is a, it's kind of a flashback, but it's right before Frodo hops in the boat to take off by himself and he recalls a conversation he has between uh, and him, between himself and Gandalf and Gandalf, yeah. you know, says to him, I, I forget the whole conversation, but the last thing Gandalf says is all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And you see like a resolve come over, mm -hmm. come over Frodo and like a finality. And he tucks the ring in his pocket and and hops in the boat. And, I, and of course, I love all the stuff that happens after that with him and Sam. Mm -hmm. it, which is was Zach's favorite, but yeah, I just Mitch's favorite. The character, favorite. sorry, I'm sorry, Mitch's mm -hmm. favorite. Mm -hmm. But there's just something about there's something about Frodo and his it, even like all aspects of his of his character, the more of the 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 realist who knows what he's getting into. He has seen yes. the eye, 
He has. He, he knows. Yeah. Yeah. He understands. Yeah. He's the, he's the only one that really understands mm-hmm. the sacrifice that he's making, and he knows like the whole time. That's his thing. He knows that this may claim his life. It probably will claim his life. He probably won't ever see the Shire again. And he goes anyways. Can I tack on to that then? Because one of my other favorite scenes is, gosh, when he accepts taking the ring at the council. Mm -hmm. That is incredibly moving. When he just yells over everyone, I will take it. Because, yeah, because. And then uh, the look on Gandalf's face. Yeah. So much of the the trilogy from Frodo's perspective is about him just like self-denying and like, you know, and, and doing what has to be done. The scene where he's at the council is the really like the most vulnerable we see him where he's really like decided, like, I have done what I wanted to do. I want to be done with it. Like he's kind of resolved, like, I want to go back to my life. Right. And then he knows based on what happens there, I have to do this. And he knows, I think you're right, what it's going to cost him. Right. And he still chooses it, which I think is really moving. Absolutely. Because Uh, his outburst comes amidst the quarreling, the fighting, you know, Mm -hmm. men and dwarves and elves, and no one can agree and no one trusts the person sitting next to them. And what makes that so much more heartbreaking, too, is Gandalf's sigh, because he's the only other one who understands what it's going to cost him. Right. Right. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, I'm ripping this off from (laughs) Lindsay Ellis a little bit, but she was saying, like, Part of the thing about Frodo, though, is like Frodo is not special. Like Frodo yeah. is not the chosen one. It is like she says, you know, for Gandalf, if he gets the ring and things go bad, worst case scenario, he becomes like a Sauron type. For Frodo, worst case scenario, we have another <coughs> Gollum. So it's kind of like it's a small yeah. risk. And that's all why Frodo is the perfect person to do it, because, you know, yeah. if he fails, which, you know, we've seen the trilogy and we know he does, the consequences wouldn't be as as dire. Right. Um, yeah. Question, uh, and ju- this is to appease our, our audience a little bit. We talked about favorite moments. What about favorite, oh, yeah, moments, if, if you know what I mean? And fellowship? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be Gandalf. You shall not pass. Come on. Right. Yeah, Come on. That's, that's it right there, baby. It's dope. Mm. It's dope. My, my favorite, though, is... It's it's right at the end of my scene. Mary and Pippin, they're terrified. The orcs are closing in. And then in slow motion, here comes Boromir just oh, running yeah. over the hill. Also, other favorite moment, Boromir takes the arrow to the chest, keeps fighting people, keeps, takes keeps another fighting. one, keeps going, takes I'll a third what, one. Though, that's kind of an mm. all yeah for me, but it's also like an I'm crying thing, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's his redemption, too. The movie does both very yeah, well. Like it's, yeah, like he's super cool, but he's also being redeemed from his fall from grace a minute ago. So. What makes this film so special compared to the other two? For me, Fellowship is the best of the three. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Two Towers made all the money and Return got all the Oscars. Did so, Two Towers make all the money? It oh, made yeah. the most. Yeah. I remember when okay. all the money. Yeah. I remember okay. when like Two Towers came out, my dad and I were going to see like some other movie in the theater 
my dad like got to the front of the line and they just said it sold out and he goes what are you talking about and they're like two towers he's like oh i'm not here for, for that but like that was the general vibe like <laughs> everyone's here to see that movie right right because mm-hmm. fellowship got a lot of great word of mouth when it came out i think there was some level of reserve for people with fellowship there was kind of like isn't this like kind of that nerdy fantasy thing that like like no, 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 thank you. But you know, it oh, just, how it, wrong they were! Exactly, yeah. Like there was, I think there were a lot of people like, no, like it's it's really good. And then people started watching, and they're like, oh shoot! And then they showed up to see Two Towers. But yeah. I think Fellowship it takes the most time with with the characters. I feel yeah, it's it's about the Fellowship. It's about right. the coming together and dissolving of this group of people. And and at the risk of sounding absolutely ridiculous, it doesn't have a big fight scene in it, yeah. or it doesn't have a big war. Because for me, like Helm's Deep is like ten minutes too long, and like fight while Return. while it's impressive, the fight scenes in Return of the King, I'm just kind of like, oh, it, for me, like big wars and battles aren't my favorite things yeah. in right. in movies. I like, yeah. you know, the character moments and I like the smaller fights. You know, I like the little battles. The big wars for me, they're a little it's easy to check out. So I think that's why I gravitate towards fellowship. I'm curious why, Mitch, you were shaking your head when Zach said Helm's Deep is a perfect battle that's what i thought you were saying they jump jump into a sea of orcs four times without getting a mark on them yes they do i love it there's a scene where an orc runs in slow motion with with fire (laughs) The, the best part the best part aragorn and gimli sneak around the side (laughs) <laughs> of the, they, they sneak out this random back door. Right. And so they're and they're like, oh, it's a long it's a long way. And Gimli's like, toss me. And he just chucks him across the they just chucks him across the yeah. little gap there. Yeah. And uh, those two are taking on pretty much the like a whole battalion. Well, Brandon, fantastic. Quick, quick fact check. The best scene is when Legolas skateboards on that shield down the stairs yes but it's very good i love everything that legolas does he he's often he's <laughs> often my when favorite he has to deliver exposition because that's all he's he the most to exciting to watch in battle i will yes. say he does the yes. coolest things and because of that he's one of my favorite characters i think just like okay. the little things like when they're on the mountain and he's just kind of like tiptoeing across the snow everyone else is like trudging yeah and the elves are really light on their feet so they can just kind of glide across the snow and like do different things that that like movie, a human could not yeah brandon you you bring that up this movie goes everywhere like yeah. this movie like we go to the shire we have that big battle in the beginning we have the snowy mountains we have isengard we have the mines of moria we have you know lothlorien i think we also have probably the best set pieces because, you know, as the movie goes on and it gets more focused, like they've gotten to their journey. Of course, we're going to stay more in one area. But I think that, you know, the journey of this movie is is the most interesting also. The thing about this movie for me, too, is like, like if I were to compare it to Star Wars, like st- I've, I've said before, like Star Wars is amazing. I like Empire even more because it's amazing and it's adding all this action and stuff like that. I feel the opposite a little bit about about the fellowship versus the Absolutely. other two Lord of the Rings movies. Cause this fellowship, I think it just has the most compelling arc, which is like this 
band of people coming together for a common purpose, which is yeah. like fundamentally just really, really compelling for me. And the fact that the fellowship persists at the end, like it, it should dissolve, it should fall apart. And in some respects it does. But I love that scene where, you know, Aragorn's like, you know, if we stay true to each other, let's then, have some work. Yeah, that just makes me really like attached to all of the characters journeys for the next couple of movies now, because I'm like, oh, these are these are the people I need to care about. I think yeah. that fellowship makes the other movies possible. There's a purity and an optimism in fellowship an innocence even that is not present as much in the second or third movie. But I agree with Zach. The The character development is so rich and, and unparalleled and just they're all together. They have, you know, kind of a bright outlook and, you know, and we see it slowly start to disintegrate. And I think I think that makes the second movies now they're all split up yeah i feel right. like they're all good but there's something about in the beginning they're all together there's something right. about that story right. for me at least yeah. yeah anything to add on with the, just the style of literary adaptation that lord of the rings is and i'm not sure if you guys have read the books or not i did for this podcast okay zach, well, just, zach is dedicated in a way neither of us are which i, I love I feel like when you're reading books, your experience is going to be different from other readers. So I I don't know if this is anybody else's experience, but Frodo in the books seems a bit more whiny. Like there isn't that moment of him saying, what must I do? It's more, you know, like, oh, well, I guess if I have the ring, I'll, I guess I'll do it. Oh, I wish it had never come to me. Like that moment you were talking about with um, where they're in the mines and Gandalf is, yes. has that with him. Yeah, that's in the book. That's like the first thing Frodo says when he gets the ring. And it doesn't sound like a big, clever line. It sounds like uh, Frodo's just whining. And I mean, I get it. It's the ring of power. It's a lot. But like, <clears throat> it's see, and Gandalf's like, no, we need to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. And it's more like, we need to act, Frodo. Come on. And just they move things around so that now this line is later and it has some more weight to it. And they also, you know, they cut out Tom Bombadil, which brilliant it's good yeah that's a good idea oof have you ever been reading a great book where the tension's building and you're so excited have you ever been reading a book like that every time i read a book so yes have you, have you ever wanted a big goofy character to just come in and break all that tension for a chapter <laughs> is that what tom bombadil does yes it is so wait, is it is it good or not good? No, it's said, horrible. It's horrible. Here's oh, the only reason. It's horrible. Here's the only. I've reason heard good things about Tom Bombadil. From who? I hear he's basically I, the author put into the book. No, like well, he, it's yeah. an excuse for the author to say what he, what he wants. I feel like he was a remnant from an earlier draft when the book was a lot lighter in tone. <laughs> but basically, Tom Bombadil is only in there so that they can bring him up in the Council of Elrond to say that he's wrong. Hmm. Oh, right. So <laughs> it's like you you cut him out, you miss nothing. Well, I did watch a video before on the changes between the book and the movie. And to your point of like shuffling things around, like the book apparently starts at the Shire and it starts with, you know, a description of the history of the Shire and how they're bookkeepers yes. and the geography of the Shire. Like like a lot of books are kind of that way. Like, let's give you the exposition and stuff like that. I feel like the movie 
grabs you by the throat. Here yeah. is the history of the Ring of Power. That's what right. the, what this franchise is really about. Mm-hmm. It, it's really about this this struggle of good versus evil. Right. So I do think they make some smart choices in how they frame things. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the other things is I think the movie knows that there's an audience that's coming to see this that doesn't regard the trilogy as the the greatest books ever. Like it takes the source material seriously. But it's not afraid to cut out some of the goofier elements. It's not afraid to kind of like punch up some more of the conflicting elements. I think that they're not so precious with the source material. But while being respectful of it, they're not like kind of clutching onto it as like, if we stray one inch from the path, you know, like they know we, right. we here's some conventions that we're going to have to make in order to make this a more entertaining movie. Well, the hmm. sense I get just from based on a lot of the other changes I found out, like they give this random elf character stuff to Arwen and, and fellowship. So Arwen yeah. shows up quicker, things like that. It seems like Peter Jackson really knew his stuff mm-hmm. and he yes. knew the, the source material well enough that he knew, you know, I can change this stuff to tell the core story more efficiently, which is not an easy thing to do. Would modern fantasy be without Lord of the Rings? Before Lord of the Rings, I feel like there was Labyrinth and that was it. Like you had never ending never story, story and Labyrinth. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. bad movies. You know? Yeah. I, I feel like not so much with fantasy and and kind of alluding to the question. I feel like any like all of a sudden after Lord of the Rings anything was possible because I don't know if you guys know the story of how the movies got made but Peter Jackson he cut a deal with Miramax and they said you get two movies like you can make two and then afterwards they were like hey check it out like you're gonna have to turn these two movies into one and Peter Jackson's like I it can't be done so they said all right you have this time to auction it around he went to every studio and everybody was just like you can't make two huge movies like this. Like you, you just can't do it. It's no, 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 no. Then finally, when he got to new line, their one condition was there's three books. Why don't you make three movies? Which Mm. was like, not the norm. Like that was exceptional. And I feel like now any book that is beloved, any book that people read, there was a big push of like, let's do it. Like, get it. Let's do it. These make money. Let's go, 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 go. And I feel like people don't realize Fellowship of the Ring, like I said, is lightning in a bottle. It's people who, like Mitch said, knew the story, were passionate about the story, loved the story, worked super hard to make sure that everything was perfect. Like, they came together. This was a passion project for Peter Jackson. And these other fantasy, like your Chronicles of Narnia, your Aragorn, to to different extents, you have, we talked about, we've talked about the Golden Compass together. Like, you have all these other things that just, the source material isn't as good, maybe, but you just don't have that level of care and love that's, that's pushing it. Yeah, I think that you can maybe chalk that up to Lord of the Rings a little bit, and... Harry Potter also. I think they were kind of sure, coming out sure. simultaneously. And I feel like after that, you had a string of subpar movie series that like, you know, the Hunger Games and the Divergence and some of those that just kind of right. fizzled. 
That's where they differ a little for me, though, because Harry Potter legitimized like the YA thing, like young yes. adults, like okay. yeah. adults watching stuff meant for kids. That's what Harry Potter did, where Lord of the Rings is a smidge different. It didn't. It's not that demo. It's just nerd stuff. It's like right. nerd stuff can make money. I think the this is the hot book right now. Let's make the movie that I think is more of a like a Harry Potter creation. That that right. seems that feels like that to me, you know, Yeah, I would probably agree with that over like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yes. Over over Lord of the Rings. Like yeah, probably. everyone's reading this. Let's make the movie. I feel like one thing, though, that like Lord of the Rings, you know, got right and kind of started was the mega movie. You know, just how like there was yes. no expense spared. Yeah. The graphics were top notch. All of the special effects. Yeah. Everything was huge. The set pieces. They were in New Zealand, for heaven's sakes. I just feel like everything was done kind of to the nth degree. And that's why like the hobbits come out and you're just like, what is this? Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's like almost a diet in, version. Yeah. It's, it's almost indistinguishable. And so much more of it, like Lord of the Rings was doing CGI the right way and yeah. everything was high quality. And then the Hobbit comes along and they're like, we, Kind of got to it just feels like we got to, you know, cut costs or do this quickly. One of the two things felt like it was <laughs> happening. And it's just like everything looks fake when you do that. There's no weight to the Hobbit design, you know, especially when you compare it to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it, and it's funny, like to, to contrast Lord of the Rings with Hobbit, because, you know, <laughs> Hobbit come when they wanted to do that. They're like, oh, well have the success of Lord of the Rings again. Well, you can't really right. have the success of Lord of the Rings again with one movie. So they're like, do two movies. Whereas, you know, you look at the Lord of the Rings, those are three, 300 plus page books that they were able to get into one movies. The Hobbit yeah. is shorter than all of that. And they've made it into three movies. It was so clear with Hobbit, they were trying to do Lord of the Rings. And I mean, there is a level, some of the people were like, oh, well, it's not as good because you've seen Lord of the Rings. I was like, no, it's not as good because it's not as good. It's because they're trying to make it into something that it isn't. And I feel like there, you know, there was a yeah. lot of like, I also go back to, I have a, a real love for the Narnia books, but they are like a little more simple. They're about like kids hanging out in the woods and they meet a lion. Like yeah. there's not like a lot of huge spectacle. The cool thing is like you're in a, a new world, but it feels small and personal. And I mean, you see Lord of the Rings all over that Narnia movie where they really try to blow it up. They really tried to make everything bigger. Yeah. Like it's, it's almost like people were terrified of, of going small with these beloved franchises. It was all like, it has to be the battle of Pelennor fields and everybody going and this big a list cast and this huge budget and all these crazy monsters. Otherwise people don't care. And I feel like we, you know, there were people who have kind of lost what makes the source material so good yeah i gotta hit this nerd thing one more time because it really <laughs> feels like the legacy of lord of the rings like if y'all watched parks and rec yeah uh, mm -hmm. you remember when ben's like you know nerd culture's mainstream so when you use it derogatorily you're out of the zeitgeist that that's <laughs> that is stuck with me i'm like yeah it's true like nerdy stuff is cool now right and i don't think you have like like it's not just like a lot of people have said like you know you don't have game of thrones without lord of the rings yeah absolutely true right you also don't have like settlers of Catan without lord of the rings mm -hmm. you just you don't have the popularization of nerdy like dungeons and dragons is popular 
now. You know what I mean? It's more popular maybe even than it was in the 80s. It's it's right. hip to be square. And I really think Lord of the Rings ushered in that legitimacy of, oh, yeah. oh you can tell a story about dwarves and goblins and stuff. And yeah. some girlfriends out there are actually going to like it. Like that's insane. Uh, right. So well, yeah, set aside set aside movies for a minute. I mean, we're talking video games, board games, just yeah. television shows. Everything it's influenced. Yeah, it, it, yeah, right. it's it's influenced an entire era, like an entire oh, yeah. generation of entertainment from top to bottom. We look at a movie like The Fellowship of the Ring and think, man, nothing compares. Lord of the Rings didn't ruin cinema, it just raised the bar. That's what great movies do. If there were no Star Wars or Back to the Future or Saw, where would films be? Personally, I think we're about to see some great films and we'll be able to trace them back to The Fellowship. Before The Fellowship of the Ring, fantasy was a niche market that didn't sell well. It sparked interest in epic narratives, alternate worlds, and Jackson taught moviegoers and dungeon masters everywhere to respect the universe you create. Imagine if this movie had failed. The viability of big budget literary adaptations would have been in jeopardy forever. So again, without Fellowship of the Ring, we wouldn't have a Hollywood that's willing to take risks on films aimed at passionate readers. In a larger sense, we probably wouldn't have the energized nerd fandoms that have taken over pop culture, and we wouldn't have one of the greatest fantasy films of all time. When I think about Lord of the Rings and the impact this franchise had on modern culture, I find myself at a bit of a loss. It's actually hard for me to remember life before these amazing movies. And not because they came out so long ago, but because their impact is so widespread and their influence so ingrained in the world around us that I've just become used to it. And maybe that's Lord of the Rings' greatest legacy, bringing about change so significant that it's hard to remember a world without the fellowship. Did Lord of the Rings ruin cinema? I don't know. But I do know that they set the bar so incredibly high, I don't ever want to go back. for our episode on The Fellowship of the Ring. We hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. We would love to hear your opinion on our episode or any other movie-related topic. So if you haven't already, hop on over to our Facebook page and join the conversation. We can be found at the Is It Really Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a little spare time and you like what you hear, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review our podcast. We appreciate your support. Well, we will be back in two weeks with an episode on the cult classic, The Princess Bride. We'll see you then.